There was a shepherd one day out watching his flock when a big black BMW pulled up. And this guy got out in his Armani suit and his Gucci shoes and came striding up to the shepherd and said to him, "Um, if I tell you exactly how many sheep you have, will you give me one? Shepherd looked at the man, looked at his peacefully grazing flock and calmly answered, yeah, sure, why not? So the guy parked his car, he whipped out his laptop, connected to his cell phone, logged into to Google Earth, asked various kind of questions, opened up a spreadsheet, worked it all out, asked a few more questions, and uh, turned, to the, uh, turned to the shepherd and said, you have exactly 1,586 sheep. That's correct. Said the shepherd, please, please help yourself, take one. So he watches the young man select one of the animals and bundle into the back of his, of his uh, car. Then the shepherd turns to the guy and says, if I can tell you exactly what your line of work is, will you give me back my animal? And I says, yeah, why not? Clearly, you're a consultant, said the shepherd. That's correct. How on earth did you guess? No guessing required. You turned up here, although nobody asked you. You're taking up my time asking a whole load of questions I'm not that interested in. You told me something I already knew. You want to get paid for it. And you don't know very much about my business. Now give me back my dog. (laughs) See, God doesn't relate to us as a consultant. God relates to us as a shepherd who takes care of us, who leads us and guides us, who feeds us, who knows what is best for us, who knows all about our business, who is for us and is with us. And tonight we're going to to think about God and what God requires of us. What God's agenda is for our lives together. What God's mandate is for his people. Don't know if you have a a motto. Or your school had a motto. Or um, the sports club that you support has a motto. Anybody have a motto that they are familiar with? Yes. Your school motto is, I distribute cheerfully. Very good. Any other mottos? Persevere. Persevere. Is that a personal motto or is that your uh, school motto? Excellent. Stood you in good stead. Yes. God having given, I give. God having given, I give. And that was? School. What school was that? Never heard of it. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Nash, what was your school motto? Never unprepared. unprepared. I I was a while when I was in a school with never unprepared and the scouts who were be prepared. So there seemed a lot of preparedness being required of me, and neither of which has stood me in that good stead in the way through life when I found myself frequently unprepared. But that's probably not quite so good a motto. Do you have a motto for your own life? 
If you were to summarize what your life is about, what your agenda for life is, what might it be? Hey, here's a difficult thing for you to do. Turn to the person next to you and give it your best shot. Okay? All else fails, you can use one of the school mottos that you heard earlier on. Well, I wouldn't particularly go for never unprepared because that's pretty useless. ask you to share that at the moment, but we'll see if we can improve it as we go on this, uh, this evening. I have a couple of life mottos, one of which is encourage the good wherever you find it, um, but the other one really is derived from the passage we're going to look at tonight in Luke chapter 9. So if you'd like to turn to Luke 9, um, we're going to read together from verse 57. Luke 9 is the pivotal chapter in Luke's gospel. Talking last night about how a fresh encounter of God leads into mission. In Luke 9, we really have some clarity beginning to emerge about the identity of Jesus. So we have um, Peter's confession of the Christ. And we have the transfiguration where Jesus' glory is revealed. And it's no accident that it's at the end of that that there is a a new phase of mission with people coming and talking about following Jesus. And then at the start of chapter 10, Jesus sending out the 72. So Luke chapter 9, reading from verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. So this series of encounters takes place in the context of people coming and saying, I will follow you, or of Jesus saying to people, come and follow me. And Luke records what the responses are from those who choose not to follow. 
And then we see the 72 being sent out. And my life motto really comes out of these encounters between Jesus and these people. And it is this. Follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom, and don't look back. Follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom, and don't look back. Jesus is talking to all these people about following. Following Jesus is at the heart of the Christian life. It's not about just making up your own way, deciding for yourself what you're going to do. It's about following somebody who knows where they are going, who has gone ahead of us, who has lived the life that God requires of us, who has died and been risen back to life again, who has blazed the way that we are going to go, who has marked the course for us. We follow Jesus. This is what the Christian life is about. This is what the Christian faith is about. It is about following Jesus. Now if you follow somebody, it's not just a one-off decision that you make. You've probably had the experience of going somewhere where you don't know where you're going, but somebody else who's going knows the way and they say, you just follow me. So they get in your car, or they get in their car rather, and you get in your car and you decide, yes, I'll follow you. In my experience, the person who says this tends to be an idiot. Because usually the first thing they do is accelerate away, and the first set of lights which are turning orange, they accelerate through them and leave you stranded not knowing where to, where to go. Jesus isn't like that. He waits for us. But if we're going to follow somebody, we need to keep following. So when they indicate right, we indicate right. When they indicate left, we indicate left. When their brake lights come on, we hit the brakes. Otherwise, we create a kind of a stretch level by accident, which isn't really part of the, part of the plan. We need to keep following. We need to trust that God knows what he is doing with every area of our lives and can be trusted with the big stuff and the small stuff. With the stuff to do with our business, with our finance, with our relationships, with our house, with our future. Following Jesus affects everything that we do. You know these bracelets that people wear, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Great question to ask, but it's slightly in the lap of the gods what you decide. Because if you're just speculating about what would Jesus do, you can have a slight tendency to imagine that Jesus would probably do what you want to do in the situation. So Jesus is the kind of bloke who would be quite happy to be in a nightclub and to have a drink or two just to be sociable. Which he might be, but it's kind of difficult for you to work out. Particularly if you're in the nightclub and have just had one or two. So I would rather see, instead of WWJD, I'd rather see WDJD. What did Jesus do? Or WDJS, what did Jesus say? Because if you know what Jesus did, and if you know what Jesus said, you're much more likely to do the WWJD thing, what would Jesus do, in a way that's got some context and some content to it. 
Because you're actually responding to the revelation of God in his word through his son, rather than just working out your imagination in the context that you're, that you're in. See, we have somebody who has shown us. We have somebody who's gone before us, who has spoken to us, who has revealed his character to us. So the question is quite simply, are we committed to going Jesus' way, or would we rather go our way and ask that God would bless him? My best friend in, uh, in New Zealand is the chief youth court judge. And whenever he goes into court, he always stops outside intentionally. No matter who's there or who's going in front of him or who's going behind him, he stops before he goes into the court and he prays that God will be with him and give him wisdom in that, in that context. He wants to follow Jesus being a judge. How does your following work out in practice when you get to your desk or when you turn on your, your computer or when you're watching sport or when you're with your kids or when you're, when you're on your own thinking about the stuff that you don't have that you'd really rather have in, in life? What does faith and trust look like as you follow Jesus? As you constantly remind yourself of his presence with you. That you're not on your own. That you're going with somebody who knows the way. That is tremendously reassuring and comforting. It is. Tremendously reassuring and comforting. That we're not on our own. That the God who called us is with us and goes uh, before us. Follow Jesus. Secondly, proclaim the kingdom. Jesus says, um, in response to the, the guy who wants to go and bury his father, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, there are various things here that stop people following. There is a desire for material comfort. This guy's dad probably isn't even ill, but he, um, he wants to wait until he's dead so that he can have the financial wherewithal to have the security to follow Jesus. Somebody else is keen but wants to go and say goodbye to their, to their family. And Jesus says, look, follow me, put your trust in me, and following me is going to involve proclaiming the kingdom. It's not an optional extra. It's you being drawn into the family business of proclaiming the kingdom of God, of proclaiming the good news, of passing on the good deposit of the gospel in word and in deed. Matthew 28, when Jesus sends out the disciples, says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you, and I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's Jesus' business, making disciples, teaching people the truth about God. And as he sends the disciples, he promises that he will be with them as they do that. 
What we are required to be is witnesses. If you've seen something, you're a witness. The question is whether you are a reliable witness or not. Whether you speak the truth of what you have seen or not. We're called to be ambassadors representing Jesus in all that we say and all that we, and all that we do. I remember talking to a guy in Holland one time at a, a conference, and he was uh, Dutch and slightly crazy. And he, uh, he said, how I like to do evangelism is this. I like to pick up hitchhikers in my car, and as we drive along the road, I start to talk to them, and then I accelerate, and when I am going very quickly, I cross over onto the other side of the road. And I turn to them and say, are you ready to meet your maker? <laughs> He said it really makes them think. <laughs> now I don't advocate that as a, as a template for sharing your faith. And if anyone does that to you, I think the correct response should probably be, are you ready to meet my solicitor? <laughs> but he was at least passionate about helping people to face up to the reality of who Jesus is. And the challenge that faces us is how we do that. Always be prepared to give an account of the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. We don't have to splurge everything instantly. You know, somebody says to you, um, oh, is this your wife? And you go, absolutely, this is my wife. She was born in 1966 in a Stirling Hospital and she lived in Dollar where her father was a, a classics teacher for 38 years and they lived in the same house most of, their, most of their life and she went to Dollar Academy and then she went to Aberdeen University where she met the most handsome man in the world and then they, they got married and then they moved to Edinburgh and then they went to New Zealand and they've got three children and so why are you telling me all this? Oh, it's just I've been waiting for an opportunity for so long to talk about my wife. Suddenly somebody asked, I want to tell you everything. Sorry, you're weird. And it is weird. If somebody kind of tells you far too much, far too quickly when you're not asking. So the challenge really is to, is to tweet the gospel. don't know if you're familiar with Twitter. Um, Twitter is a... A micro-blogging application which limits your posts to 160 characters because that's what your mobile phone can handle in one go. I got involved in Twitter at the Olympics in Beijing because through a slightly bizarre set of circumstances I wound up being an online correspondent at the Beijing Olympics for the Sports Council in New Zealand. So I was posting updates to the uh, website in New Zealand from, from Beijing. And I actually, I've given up Twittering now. I, I, I'd stopped Twittering before most people started. But it's amazing what you, can, what you can say in 160 characters. My very last um, tweet was at the end of the Olympics where I realized that um, there was going to be about a 10-day gap between the Olympics finishing and the Paralympics starting. And basically, the last tweet that had been posted sat on the front page of the website until somebody else replaced it. And Spark had um, 
They had one of the athletes' um, mums. They had one of the athletes' wives. They had a couple of people who worked for Spark. They had a couple of journalists, and they had me. So various, um, you know, I waited at the end while people signed off with their last kind of, with their last post. Because I, I knew that if I waited to the end, mine would be there for a long time. So I am, um, my last post was thanks to Spark for the opportunity to Twitter. I hope you've enjoyed the tweets. Mana akatia mai Aotearoa, which is the, the last line of the national anthem in Maori, which is God defend New Zealand. And God bless you in the race of life. And that, uh, that sat on the Spark homepage for, for 10 days. Little things that you see communicate something about who you are. I had one or two conversations with people off the, off the back of that. We have the opportunity to tweet the gospel in our words and our actions with the people around us. I remember being in a car once with somebody and they said, what are you doing on the weekend? And I said, well, um, I'm playing hockey on Saturday and then I'm going to church on Sunday. I said, no. I didn't didn't think you were religious. I said, no, I'm not at all religious. So we spoke about a few other things and about four or five miles further on, they said to me, um, so hang on a minute, if you're not religious, why are you going to church? And I said, well, I don't think Jesus is interested in religion at all. Another few miles, talked about hockey, talked about other things. So, So if Jesus isn't interested in religion, what, what is he interested in? then, well, Jesus is interested in relationship. Because religion is about people trying to, to improve themselves through their own efforts, and Jesus is God coming to do what we can't do. Religion is about people in search of God. Jesus is God in search of human beings and making a new relationship with us. So you wouldn't really, you're not like one of these Bible bashers then. And I said, well, I've never actually hit someone with my Bible, but I can think about it. I've been tempted a few times, but never quite got right to it. But certainly what I think is, is, is based on the Bible. You know, it's all there in the Bible. It's not, not making it up. Didn't say anything else for the next half an hour. Then when he got out of the car, said to me, um, don't really want to make a big deal about this, but is there any chance you could get me a Bible to read? Sure. got opportunities around us to just ask God to give them to us and tune into his spirit as we take them and then you might find that as relationships build there's opportunity to invite someone to come to Christianity Explored or to come to Glad You Asked or one of the other things that you're, that you're doing here Proclaim the kingdom. Don't keep it to yourself. If you are a Christian following Jesus, the proclamation of the kingdom is something which should be on your lips and in your life on a daily basis. It's part of following him. Being ready to share the good news with the people around you. 
follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom, and don't look back. Jesus uses the idea here of no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Back in the days before combine harvesters, you plowed a field with a, a plow and either a couple of oxen or just yourself walking. But in, in either eventuality, you had to fix your eyes on a point on the far side of the field and keep walking towards that point or keep steering towards that point. Because that's the only way to get a straight furrow behind you. If you turn round to see how you're going, the furrow starts getting wigglier. And the more you look at the wiggliness of the furrow, the wigglier it becomes. You can't fix the wiggle looking that way. The only opportunity of getting a straight furrow is to turn round and start going that way. To fix your eyes on a point on the far side of the field and to go towards that. Writer to the Hebrews, start of chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of her faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Goes on to talk about let us um, throw off the sin that so easily entangles and everything that ensnares. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, the whole idea there is of fixing, focusing, looking intentionally and deliberately and going for Jesus. When we lived in Edinburgh, one of the annual fixtures was going to the Davison's Mains Gala. And they have a series of races there which start with the toddler's race. And the toddler's race is slightly chaotic because toddlers, left to their own natural devices, run in semicircular arcs or stop and pick up dead insects. They don't really have a, a finely honed competitive instinct for getting to the finish line. So the way you handle a toddler's race is you have one grown up at the start and another grown up at the finish. And you say, look at mummy. Fix your eyes on mummy. Do not look at the dead insects. Do not look to the left or right. Do not stop and pick up that lollipop stick. Just look at mummy and go for mummy. Huh. And mummy's standing there with her arms stretched wide. Going, come on, come on, come on, come on. fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who's standing there waiting for a shout? Come on! Keep going. Finish the race. Loves to see us running well. Wants to see us persevere and, and keep going. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to be orientated to the future in the person of Christ. Can glance back. History is a great thing. History has got us where we are today. But we're not going back there. Citing hearing about the, the church business meeting coming up. Thinking about the vision for the future. Absolutely convinced that there is a crisis in ministry in churches around the western world. 
where we become more orientated towards the way things were done in the past than how things need to be in the future. The structures that served the gospel in the last century are not the structures that are going to serve the gospel in this century. The world is changing at an exponential pace. The gospel doesn't change, but the world does. And we need to make sure that we are contextualizing the gospel that doesn't change into the world that does if we're going to make a difference in mission in the world and see a new generation impacted with the good news of Jesus and coming into the kingdom of God. That's true, by the way, no matter how old you are. One of my favorite Bible characters is Caleb, who keeps going in his old age. He and Joshua, you remember, are the two who get back into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. And Caleb in his old age is standing there going, come on and get some of you, think you're hard enough, you Amalekites, you. Or words to that effect. I'll give my daughter to whoever can take that stronghold. It's the middle name of our third son because although he's the youngest, I wanted to keep going the longest. You can do great things in old age. If you look at the geniuses of the world, roughly speaking, a third of them do their best stuff when they're young, a third of them do their best stuff in the middle, and a third of them do their best stuff when they're old. Doesn't fit with the ageism of society. Challenges for us all to keep going, to keep looking to Jesus. No matter what age we are, no matter what our life experience has been. Follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom and don't look back. There is a cost to that kind of discipleship. But it's that kind of cost that makes an impact in the world. So in Nigeria a couple of years ago in a place called Jos, which is in the north of the country, where there had been some quite significant um, riots between Muslims and Christians, and a number of people had been killed. And there was, um, in the service that I, was, that I was speaking at, these two brothers in the offering brought forward a goat. Now, I've not really had much experience knowing how to handle goats when they're presented to you in a service. I was really hoping I didn't have to kill it, but... You know, I was open to doing whatever the thing was. But it turned out they were offering this goat as a thank offering to God for sparing their lives and to pray for his mercy for the men who had killed their parents and their sister, who they saw most days in Jaws. And I said to them, you know, how, how do you go about your daily life seeing the people who killed your, your parents and your, and your sister? And they said, this is what it means to follow Jesus. If we just like the people who are, just love the people who are kind to us, are we not just like the pagans? We are to love our enemies. Jesus sends out the 72 he sends them out to the places that he is going to go. He sends them out telling them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and greet anyone on the road. Put your trust in me. Don't take the stuff that you think you need. Don't get distracted. What kind of person sends somebody out like lambs among wolves? Lambs and wolves don't get on very well together. A wolf will devour a lamb. Could be deemed slightly irresponsible to send out a lamb where there are wolves. The answer to what kind of person does that is a shepherd who's going with the lambs. His rod and staff comfort me. He's there with us. We experience his protection and his provision. In my final year at university, we had a fire in our flat and pretty much all our possessions were destroyed. And we, um, we spent that night in a temporary flat that the um, agent had fixed up for us. All we had were the clothes that we stood up in, um, a pot plant that we'd rescued from the, from the ashes that subsequently died, um, and three pairs of matching paisley patterned pyjamas that a kindly old lady in the church had bought for us because she felt sorry for us. So we stood that evening in our matching paisley patterned pyjamas <laughs> around our plant, and we just laughed because there wasn't much else to do, um, really. But that was a tremendous time because when you don't have anything, you discover that you've still got Jesus. And when you've got Jesus, you don't just have enough, you have plenty. Jesus protects us and provides for us. He goes with us. He's drawn us into his mission so that we can participate in it and share in it with him. I remember talking to a girl at the end of a, a European evangelism conference who was going on a team to part of the former Soviet Union. And she, she came up to me at the end and said, I'm really scared about next year. And I said, what's the worst thing that can happen? She said, um, people might not like me. I said, come on, what's the worst thing that can happen? She said, um, I could be killed. And we knew where she was going. That was a possibility. That sure. Is that the worst thing that could happen? She said, no. Could be raped. That sure. It'd be awful. Might even be worse than being killed. And again, we knew where she was going. That was a possibility. I said, is that, is that the worst thing that could happen? She thought for a long time. She said, no, the worst thing that could happen is that students in Belarus wouldn't get a chance to hear the good news about Jesus and that I would live my life by fear instead of faith. We have an opportunity to go and to take the good news. For some of us, it will mean going to the ends of the earth. For some of us, it will mean going into a particular work environment or living in a particular community. For some of us, it will be to our, to our family, maybe even to our bonkers and dysfunctional family. 
God knows what he is doing. God knows where he is taking us. He's gone before us. He's going with us. He wants us to depend on him and to trust in him and to be his people where he takes us. To know Jesus and make him known. Follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom, and don't look back. So the question is this. Do you know Jesus? And will you follow him? At the end of Luke 9, you see people going away because they are not willing to pay the cost of following Jesus. They're not willing to trust him. It is more important to them that they have financial security, that they have relationships with people, than that they, and that they have a, a place to live and to stay than it is to give up everything to follow Jesus. They're willing to follow, but only on their own terms. And Jesus won't have people following him on their terms. He wants people to follow him on his terms because he wants to provide for them and to protect them. He wants them to know him and to realize that they are loved and looked after. They have been saved and redeemed. They have a future and a hope. Will you follow Jesus? See, it is an act of will. When these kind of decisions have to be made. And everybody eventually gets to a point where like these people, they have to make a decision. Will you follow Jesus? It's like when you get married. It's an act of will. Minister turns to the guy and says, will you take this woman? Well, she's really very attractive. Not denying that, but will you take this woman? Well, we've been together for, for quite a long time now, and we've got a lot of plans in, in place. Will you take this woman? Well, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm pretty up for it, but I've never quite noticed how attractive some of the bridesmaids are before. So, um, could you just give me a 30 minutes tops with, with the chief bridesmaid, I'll get straight back to you if that's not going anywhere, and we'll take it from there. Will you take this woman? It's not an emotional thing. It's a decision. Yes. Thank you. Then turns to the girl. It's worth noting at this point, girls, if you um, are ever planning to get married, that at this point in the service, you've got all the cards. Okay? As the guys, in fact, always say yes very quickly. They dribble and drool and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the minister then turns to you and says, you know, will you take Bozo here? And you can take as long as you like. You can look him up and down. You can think about it. You can get out a notebook if you want, make a few little jottings. Um, you can take as long as you like about it. See, he's gone first. What he thinks isn't in doubt. He said yes. And the question comes to you, will you? See, God has gone first for us. His yes is not in doubt. He is for us. He is with us. He has died for us. He has risen again. He is coming back. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
I will forgive us our sins and purify our iniquity, our unrighteousness. If we ask him, he will come into our lives. And the question comes to us, will you take Jesus? Will you love Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom and not look back? Live for him and with him and stop living your own way, centered on yourself and your own agenda. Living your own life that is going to run out and start living his life that is going to last forever. Will you receive from him the free gift of eternal life? Will you live for Jesus? And will you live with Jesus? And will that relationship and the renewal of that relationship be at the core of everything that you are and everything that you do from this point onwards? Follow Jesus, proclaim the kingdom, and don't look back. I work with... uh, Students for the last 20 years, really. One of my one of my favourite times of the year is Freshers' Week, because students who are allegedly some of the brightest people in the world, um, basically spend a whole week asking each other the same questions: What's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing here? And would you like a free gift? You could have a T-shirt printed that said, um, "Nigel Edinburgh English, yes, please." It would kind of abbreviate, eliminate the need for conversation altogether. Just go, because <coughs> 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 everyone wants to give you something free at the start of university, whether it's a pot noodle or a condom, it's just kind of part of the part of the culture. Got to wondering what would happen if you met Jesus within that kind of framework. How would the conversation go? What would you say to Jesus? What's your name? Jesus Christ. Where are you from? Well, originally I was with God in heaven. Through me all things were made that have been made. Then I came to earth and I was born in a manger at Christmas time. I grew to be a man. I um, spent three years in public ministry at the end of which I died on the cross for the sins of the world. Three days later God raised me back to life again, vindicating my sacrifice on the cross. Then I ascended into heaven where I'm seated now at the right hand of the throne of God from where I will come in the future to judge the living and the dead and usher in a glorious new kingdom that will last forever. I'm from Davison's Mains. What are you doing here? I'm doing what I've always been doing. Reconciling lost men and women to the God who made them and knows them and loves them. Giving people life in all its fullness. Giving people hope. Giving people eternal life. Bringing forgiveness. Bringing a new relationship with God. Would you like a free gift? I don't know, what have you got? Not much really. What would Jesus say to you? I know your name. I know where you're from. I know everything about you. I know what you're doing here. Would you like a free gift? 
free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Would you like to receive that gift for the first time? If you've received that gift in the past, would you like to get it out again and just remember what a fantastic free gift it is? Would you commit to living your life in response to that free grace of God so richly poured out? So that instead of following the expectations of society or the plans of your parents or the pressure of your peers, that you might commit to follow Jesus, proclaim his kingdom and not look back, to make the most of every opportunity until he comes. We've been praying this weekend that all of us would have a fresh encounter with Jesus this weekend that would lead us to go into the week and into life differently. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them one thing that you would like them to pray for you in this regard, in terms of you following Jesus, proclaiming the kingdom and not looking back. And ask them to pray for you specifically about an issue that either makes it hard for you to do that or an opportunity that you can see opening up for you in, in doing that. And to share that with them and ask that they would pray for you. Maybe now, maybe later, maybe over the course of this week as you seek to, to move forward with, uh, with that. So just take a moment to share with the person next year in response to what God has been saying to you.